of dreaming when you are broken. And uh, good Bible study tonight. I'm, I'm happy about it. Let me review just a little bit. We started out with, first of all, if you want to dream when you're broken. All of our lives have been broken by one thing or another. We all have. Um, but we have to come to a realization about that. We have to realize that things have happened. So our first principle when we started this series and part one was to realize that I'm not God and I admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. I think that's a very important thing. The second principle we introduced was the hope principle that there is hope. I have hope when trouble comes my way. I have hope, oh yeah, since Jesus has come. I would finish, but the applause is way too much. I'll have to do that another time. So, woo, 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 woo. Y'all see, got to get going here. It's Wednesday night. Uh, I don't know what's wrong with me tonight. I'm normal, I promise, and I'll get over it. But anyway, I'm just having a good time here tonight. We talked about hope, principle number two. Uh, about hope is to earnestly believe that God exists and that I matter to him and that he has the power to help me recover from my brokenness. Number three is to consciously decide. Principle number three is to consciously choose to commit all of your life and will to Christ's care and control. The fourth principle is to be open, to openly examine and confess my faults uh, to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. Uh, principle number five is to voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly ask Him to remove my character defects. Pat, I need my stand, if you don't mind. It's right inside that door over there, that little black stand. Thank you, sir. So tonight, I want to introduce to you, evaluate. Our scripture setting is Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall obtain mercy. Thank you, sir, very much. <clears throat> so principle number six tonight is to evaluate all my relationships, every relationship you have with everybody, to begin to evaluate those relationships. Listen very carefully. When you're evaluating all of those relationships in your life, to be willing to offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me and make amends for the harm that I've done to others, except when to do so would harm them or others. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. The Bible said, let all bitterness, let all bitterness, all wrath, all anger, and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. Get rid of all of it. Not part of it. Not that part that you think is convenient and is appropriate, but all of it. Not the part, you don't keep part of it that you think you're entitled to. You get rid of all of it, including malice. So all the things that you hate, the people that you hate. The Bible said that we have to deal with these things. There's nearly... 2,000 newspapers that are published every day in North America with a combined circulation of nearly 70 million newspapers. Limitless possibilities exist for error. Both human error and even mechanical error. Add the crushing pressure of deadlines, and it's really surprising, should be surprising to all of us, that there's not more mistakes than even those that exist. So when goof-ups happen in a newspaper printing, the editors will scurry to print corrections, and sometimes the correction 
is wrong. For example, important notice add in a newspaper. If you are one of hundreds of parachuting enthusiasts who bought our Easy Sky Diving book, please make the following correction. On page 8, line 7, the words state zip code should have read pull rip card. If you want to goof up on something, you don't want it to be instructions on how to parachute, especially when it comes to pulling the rip card. Where's the zip code? I don't zip code somewhere, somebody. <clears throat> One paper in their food section put an inaccurate number of jalapeno peppers that was applicable to the Jeanette Crowley Southwestern chicken salad recipe. They should have called for two. With a typographical error, they put 21. It would heat you up, needless to say. One paper reported yesterday, we mistakenly reported that a talk was given by a battle-scarred hero. We apologize for the area. We obviously meant that the talk was given by a bottle-scarred hero. So I think they actually had it right the first time. They corrected their thing that didn't need to be corrected. One newspaper, our newspaper carried the notice last week that Mr. Oscar Hoffnagel is a defective on the police force. This was a typographical error. Mr. Hoffnagel is, of course, a detective on the police force. I'm sure Mr. Hoffnagel was really thankful. One newspaper in last week's issue, a picture showed some very unusual oriental dishes which were enjoyed by a party for foreign exchange students. My, <laughs> I can't say this without laughing. My thigh thin <laughs> is a foreign exchange student who was standing in the center of the picture. We incorrectly listed her name as one of the items on the menu. <clears throat> A number of years ago, a newspaper referred to who was the once chairman of the Chrysler Corporation as Lee Iacucu and apologized, and it was, of course, Lee Iacocca. Uh, they regret that error. So the point is, and the reason I'm mentioning that, is have you ever tried, has anybody in the building ever tried to correct a mistake in a relationship and actually made it worse by trying to correct it? We all have. We all have. Um, I've experienced that numerous times in, with church people. Uh, sometimes, and it actually happened Sunday. This past Sunday it happened. And I kept my dumb mouth shut, and I'm glad I did because it turned out okay. But I, I was really convinced that someone was offended Sunday at church, badly offended. And I asked Sister Murphy about it. I even asked someone else that I trust dearly about it. And... Uh, just rode the storm out, and those folks are here tonight. And I'm so sometimes when you think there's a problem and you go to try to fix it, sometimes you can actually make it worse. We want to tonight, and 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 all of us are working hard to recover from the hurts others have inflicted on us, and from the damage that we've done to others. And as I've said many times on this subject, we put a whole, whole lot more focus on the hurt people have caused to us than the hurt we've caused others. Very few people have the ability to be objective and say, you know, I've hurt people too. Nobody ever wants to admit that, but we all do. And if you're here tonight and think you haven't, I'm sure that you have. Um, <clears throat> so we want to recover from all of that. The problem is that sometimes we just mess things up when we try to do it on our own. So today's text gives us two important principles to help us in repairing our relationships with others. Our text, if you'll remember just a few moments ago, was Blessed are the merciful. 
for they will obtain mercy. So there's something you have to give out if you want the same thing to come back. Everybody understand that? It's reciprocal. It's not a one-way street. So if you've been hurt and you've hurt people, then you have to forgive so you can be forgiven. It's a two-way street. Okay. So our focus tonight for a few moments is going to be forgive those who have hurt me. Forgive those who've hurt me. And then to make amends with those that I've hurt. It's a two-way street, and I hope everybody understands that. So we've already learned in this series that's been going on now for a number of weeks that the why we need to do this is, is actually more important than the how. Because when I understand why I should do something, then it, 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 it will be much easier to figure out the how to do it. If we know the why, then it's easier to figure out the how. Does everybody understand that? <clears throat> so, for each of these steps, I want us to look at the why and the how that's contained in that little statement Jesus made in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful. If you have a tendency or a natural inclination or even a spiritual inclination to be merciful to people, then it's going to be easier for you to obtain mercy if you mess up. But if you're that hard-headed, stiff-necked, stubborn, I ain't never forgiven anybody. I've been hurt too much and I ain't forgiven another person. Okay, don't expect a whole lot of mercy to come drifting up into your dock. Kind of a hardcore reality, and it's very hardcore stated. But bottom line, that's what Jesus is saying. If you want mercy, then you have to be merciful to people. Even those you don't like. Why? Why do we need to forgive those who's hurt me? Why do I need to do that, Pastor? Let's, let's talk about that for a minute. Why do you need to do that? I'll tell you why. Number one is because God has forgiven you. That's really the only explanation you need, in my opinion. You can stop right there, and that's enough said. But we'll continue on. But because God has forgiven me. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, the Bible says, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So this forgiveness thing is not based on how many people has forgiven you. It's based on how many times Christ has forgiven you. That's the basis of it. That's the foundation of it. So when I remember how much God has forgiven me, it makes it a whole lot easier for me to forgive other people. Now, we don't think on those terms, mostly because we think we're pretty good people, and probably in the last few years, Jesus really hasn't had to forgive us of all that much, because we're Christian people, and we're pretty good people. The reason we don't feel that forgiven, as we did in the early days of our relationship with God, because we don't repent now nearly as much. As we did then. We would all be surprised to know what we're packing around on the inside of us that needs to be washed away. But we don't think it does so we don't ask. <clears throat> Maybe we need to stop there for a little while. When you have a hard time forgiving others. Listen very carefully. Get your head around this. When you have a hard time forgiving people, if you have a hard time doing that, one of the reasons could be is because you don't feel forgiven. I've hurt God, I've hurt people, and I'm not even sure God has forgiven me, and I sure can't forgive myself, and, and I just don't feel forgiven. So how in the world can I forgive someone else when I don't even feel forgiven myself? 
This is why Paul said, I die daily. This is kind of the answer to that statement. That's the explanation behind that statement. Is that we have to understand that our relationship with God, Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. And just because you received the Holy Ghost 20 years ago doesn't mean you don't need it today. And we all should have been refilled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost today in our personal prayer time. Hello. We need to understand, Jesus said... He that loves much has been forgiven much. And when we don't feel like we've been forgiven much, we don't love much, and we don't, need to feel like we, we don't feel like we need to forgive much either. And so we pack our grudges and our bad attitudes, and we just learn to cope with it. And hence comes, as I preached to you several Sundays ago, that little spirit of infirmity, and it starts embedding itself in you. And you live this way for 10, 15, 20 years. And pretty soon you're all bent over in your relationship with God. Very few of your prayers are ever answered. You come to church every Sunday and you pay your tithes and you figure out, you can't figure out why you're not blessed. We need to understand. I don't believe we ought to live in a perpetual state of repentance. But we need, do need to take a trip to the prayer room frequently and say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Everybody said amen. <clears throat> if you haven't done that in a while, your tank is full of stuff you need to get rid of, and it needs to be getting right, rid of. I, I can promise you that. The second reason that we need to forgive people who have hurt us, don't raise your hands. You can if you want, but uh, you don't have to. But how many people have figured out that resentment and grudge-toting really doesn't work? You just might as well go ahead and get rid of it and let it go. You can't go back and fix it. And just walking around saying that, I just can't stand this guy. I mean, he, he gets on, I know, he just he gets on your nerves. And I just, I, I'm just going to, yeah, I would tell him, move over one. I just, <laughs> but uh, just, just, I can't stand that person. Can't stand to be around him. We, we need to realize, folks, listen to Pastor. I'm pouring my heart out tonight. Resentment doesn't work. It doesn't get you anywhere. Resentment destroys you, and the person who's hurt you is out there frolicking around, enjoying life like nothing ever happened. You're the one that's miserable. You're the one that's suffering. You're the one that's suffered heartbrokenness. You're the one that can't trust anybody. You're the one that won't believe in anybody, including God. Resentment doesn't work. Listen to Job chapter 5, verse 2. For wrath kills the foolish man. That, that vengeful attitude, that vengeful spirit. Envy, he said, slays the silly one, the ignorant, the one that don't know any better. It, it kills you, man. There's no point in packing all that stuff around. It, it gains you nothing. It profits nothing. Resentment doesn't work. Job tells us that resentment is unreasonable, it's unhealthy, and it's unhelpful. It doesn't get you anywhere by being resentful. You know, it's by God, I remember so-and-so did something to me 45 years ago, and I ain't going to ever forget it. Okay, well, cool. Where's it gotten you, sister memory, brother memory? How far has it gotten you? Somewhere along the line. As the old saying goes, you have to let bygones be bygones. You say, well, you don't understand what happened to me. Maybe I don't, but you don't understand how, what happened on the cross either. If you did, your life would be different. <clears throat> so does resentment ever cause people to do stupid things? Sure it does. Rude, first and foremost. Anger. The list goes on. Yes, it's kind of like shooting yourself so you'll hit someone else when the gun recoils. I think that was pretty cool right there. So I'm going to shoot myself and, and, and hope in the process that the butt of the gun will smack you upside the head. Now, that's brilliant, isn't it? But that's what resentment, that's, that's about how far it gets you. You always hurt yourself more than the other person when you're resentful. Anger is a waste of energy. The Bible said in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 9, Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, 
for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. As I like to say sometimes, put that in your pipe and smoke it, even though we don't believe in you. Job 18.4, He teareth himself in his anger. Shall the earth be as forsaken, uh, be forsaken for thee? Shall the rock be removed out of his place? Your anger don't change nothing but you. Don't change anything. So when you get angry and resentful towards somebody, you don't hurt them. You're all upset about it, and it's not bothering them. It's making you miserable, but they've forgotten it. Resentment can't change the situation in the past. It can't correct problems in the present and doesn't change people in the future. It just makes you miserable. So have you ever talked to someone who said, I just feel so much better after being so resentful towards like eight people? You ever heard anybody say that? It just makes me feel good. You know, I hate about eight, eight people here tonight. And I just, woo, 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 on top of the world, buddy. Those kind of feelings don't make you feel any better. As a matter of fact, they make you feel worse. And it impacts your marriage. It impacts parenting. It impacts your relationship with God. There's no point in it. There's no profit in it. And look, I've been hurt by people. I've been hurt by people that shouldn't hurt me. I've been hurt by people that I thought loved me pretty good. I've known of people that's lost a son to a drunk driver. It's hard to get over that, man. It's hard not to hate that person. The person that I'm referring to actually contacted that drunk driver, befriended the person, and won him to God. <laughs> it just depends on you. It depends on you. Is everybody with me? The Bible said in Job twenty-one twenty-three, one dieth in his full strength, being wholly at ease and quiet. His breasts are full of milk, and his bones are moistened with marrow. And another dies in the bitterness of his soul and never eats with pleasure. It's what being resentful and bitter does. Research has shown that the unhealthiest emotion people have is resentment. It's like having an emotional cancer, if you will, that literally eats you alive. Bitterness even has physical consequences. Have you ever said that so-and-so is a pain in the neck? See, they're having a physical consequence on you now because your neck hurts. Well, you're the one that said it. No. <clears throat> Other body parts have been referenced, but we won't go there tonight. <clears throat> so this person may indeed be, seriously speaking, the cause of your pain in the neck if you have resentment towards that person. A guy walked into the doctor one time and said, I need some more pills for my colitis. And the doctor said, who are you colliding with now? There's a lot of merit in that statement. Dr. S.I. Uh, Macmillan wrote a book that showed that there are two greatest causes of the physical problems in life. They're guilt and resentment. It's the two greatest causes of physical problems in life. is guilt and resentment, he said. It not so much matters what you eat, but what matters is what's eating you. So nothing drains you emotionally like bitterness. I tweeted this morning, be a fountain and not a drain. Don't be a drain on your relationships, but be productive in your relationships and take life by the horns and you control it instead of it controlling you. And you can do that. You can, you can be successful and profitable when you do that. <clears throat> being bitter and toting grudges and being resentful, it just prolongs the hurt. It's like an emotional suicide need to forgive those that hurt you for your own sake. For your own well-being, you need to do that. The third reason that we need to forgive people that hurt us, and I'm trying to hurry, is because we'll all need forgiveness in the future from God and from others. We'll need forgiveness at some point in the future. Mark chapter 11, verse 25, the Bible said, When you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Jesus is saying very clearly, if you don't do it, it's not going to come back to you. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. He said that straight up in another place in the Bible. 
<clears throat> Resentment blocks your sense of God's forgiveness in your own life. It does. It makes you feel unforgiving when you are resentful towards people who have hurt you. It can be a preacher, a church member, a family member, a spouse, a child, a parent. As long as you harbor that resentment towards those people, you're not going to ever really feel like you've been forgiven. It's just the way it works. It's proved, been proven many, many times. So the Bible teaches that we cannot receive what we need until we're willing to give. So it's dangerous to pray the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So it's bottom line saying, Lord, forgive me as much as I forgive everyone else. That's what you're praying when you would pray that prayer. When you say, Lord, forgive our debts as I forgive my debtor, then you're praying that God will forgive them as much as you do. You're telling God to forgive you as much as you forgive them. Y'all understand that? That's why forgiveness is so important. It's, 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 it's a centerpiece. Jesus said from the cross, one of the things he said, the seven things he said from the cross is, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Now, what Jesus meant, and what Stephen meant in Acts chapter 7, when he said, lay not the sin to their charge, is what they were actually saying is, God, when you think of that person, I don't want you to even think about this. Don't even think about what they did to me. When you look at them, don't even think about it. Don't let it cross your mind. It, it's not on my mind anymore. I let it go so, you know, if, if, if Pat threw rocks at me one day and hurt me really bad, when you think of him, don't think of that rock-throwing session. Don't even think about it. It's a hard place to reach in forgiveness. To me, it's the ultimate place in forgiveness because, after all, that's what Jesus does for us when he forgives. Never will our sin be brought up again. So... We have to understand that forgiveness is a two-way street. One man came to John Wesley and said, I can never forgive that person. Then I, I never can forgive that person. Never. John Wesley said, then I hope, sir, that you never sin. Does everybody understand? So how do you do that? How do you forgive people that have hurt you? And this is going to be the hard part of this Bible study. Number one, you have to reveal your hurt. You have to reveal the fact that you've been hurt by somebody. You can't get over a hurt until you admit that it hurt. And here's your options when you're faced with someone hurting you. Here's your options. Number one, you can repress it and play like it never happened. I was... Molested as a child, I was abused as a child, I was beaten as a child, uh, horrible things was done to me, whatever. You can repress that and live the rest of your life playing like it, doesn't, it didn't happen. That's option number one. Option number two is you can suppress it. Now the first thing I said was repress it. You can repress it and pretend it didn't happen. Number two, you can suppress it and pretend that it's not a big deal. Yeah, it happened, but it ain't a big deal. <clears throat> or you can express it and let your anger get the best of you, or, as the Bible teaches, you can confess it and admit that it hurt and then start taking steps to deal with it. Let me repeat those again. You can repress it or suppress it or express it or confess it. And Jesus said, confess. The Bible teaches to confess. You confess that it happened, and then you start taking steps to have that hurt heal. People say, I really don't, I really like to close the door on my past. I'd like to get closure so this person doesn't hurt me anymore. That's fine, but you'll never get closure until there's disclosure. You must first admit that it hurt and then start getting over that hurt or healing from that hurt. For many people, one of the most helpful things is to express your hurt in a letter. And we talked about this, I believe, last week. You can write it down. Start writing it on paper. That 
it hurt really bad. What so-and-so did to me when I was a child, when I was a teenager, whenever it happened, or however many times it happened, by however many people, it doesn't matter. But you start writing it down. You, you start expressing on paper, if you will. And then don't mail that letter. Just keep it. At least you've got it out of you. It's, it's outside of you now. It's, it's on parchment, if you will. It's on paper. It's on the outside of you. I'm trying to help somebody here tonight. The Bible said in Psalm 55, verse 12, For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my God and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked unto the house of God in company. The psalmist is saying that he was hurt by somebody he trusted, by someone that should have loved him, that should have had his interest at heart, etc., etc., etc. The second thing we have to do in the process of healing so we can start dreaming again and dreaming big again is to release the offender. The only way you can release an offender is to forgive them. There's, there's no other options. There's no other way around it. Don't wait for them to ask for forgiveness because they may never think that they need to ask for it. And I have a feeling there's a lot of people in our world today, there may even be people here tonight that's hurt somebody and you don't even know you did it. But a person is harboring resentment and a grudge towards you and you don't even know. You're living in ignorance of the situation. You could have said something in passing, walking by somebody that just struck a dagger in their heart and you went on and didn't even know it, had no clue it happened. We need to understand these things. We need to understand how these things can happen to us and you have to understand that forgiveness first and foremost is for your sake not theirs it's for your sake and if you do it then they'll be the byproduct of it you're going to need forgiveness in the future all of us will we're all going to need forgiveness in the future either from God or from our fellow man so it's imperative that we obey the word of God. We all know the scripture setting in Matthew 18. Peter said, Lord, how shall I, shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? And no one really knows the time span here, but Jesus said unto him, I say not, I, I, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. And it's, it's not that you keep count, but it's exponential. There's no limit. There's no end to how much you should Forgive. So Jesus is saying that forgiveness is to be continual, it's to be perpetual, because those feelings will keep coming back, and every time that happens, you have to forgive them all over again. And so, how do you know when you have released an offender fully? How do you know when it's over? You know it's over when it doesn't hurt anymore. I know someone very closely, it's a, a relative, someone very intimate. And he was offended deeply by a pastoral situation. And uh, he told me at some point that all that's behind him, he's forgiven, it's all over with, what have you. And um, so about six or eight months later, and I was young and foolish and immature. This happened years and years ago. I'd never do this again. But I just started poking around at it. And I kept poking around until finally this person told me, said, if you mention that one more time, I'm going to knock your teeth out. That's a quote. He was that angry. And I said, well, you haven't forgiven that person then. <clears throat> you know that you've forgiven them when remembrance of that doesn't hurt anymore. And you reach a point where you can pray for God's blessing on their life and you can understand their hurt instead of focusing on your hurt because hurt people hurt people. So you can't get rid of the pain of the past, but you can get rid of the pain. You can't get rid of the past, but you can get rid of the pain. Number three, the reason uh, or, or how we need to do this is to release or replace my hurt with God's peace. In Colossians 3.15, the Bible said, Let the peace of God rule in your heart. 
Let the peace of God rule in your heart, to which also you are called one body, and be ye thankful. Let God settle the score. Let God have it. Let God, if there's any revenge or anything like that that needs to happen, and hopefully those people will get forgiveness and, and God forgives everybody. But if there's any score that needs to be settled, let, let God do that. He can do a whole lot better job, and of course he's justified to do it. Let him have the last word in the situation of whatever happened. Let, let him take care of it. And, you know, relationships can sometimes tear your heart into pieces. But God can glue those pieces back together and cover your heart with his peace. And that's why you need to reveal your hurt, release your hurt, and then replace your hurt with the peace of God. So why do we need to make amends to those that we've hurt? Because unresolved relationships are at the root of your problems and they prevent recovery from happening. And you have to take that second step. You have to make amends to the people you've hurt as well as releasing the people who've hurt you. In Hebrews twelve fifteen, the Bible said, Look indiligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness sprinkle up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. You have to let go of unresolved relationships if you want to enjoy happiness that God meant for you to have in this life. So here's a how-to. This is how you begin to forgive. Make a list of those that you've hurt and then explain what you did to hurt them. This is where you begin. You make a list on a piece of paper of those that you've hurt and what happened. Write it down on a piece of paper. Probably everybody in this building is thinking right now, I can't think of anybody. I figured you'd say that, so let me give you a few pointers to help you get started. Have you ever borrowed any money from somebody that you never repaid ever in your life? Boy, that got quiet. All right. Have you ever loaned somebody any money that they never repaid? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We remember that. But we don't remember ever, 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 ever. From when you were like eight years old, you borrowed a quarter from somebody and you never paid it back. I don't remember that, Brother Murphy. just don't remember. Have you ever broken a promise to someone? Have you ever promised somebody that you would do something and you broke that promise. Can you maybe admit that you're too controlling or too possessive of someone? I.e. your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, your dog? Have you ever been too critical of someone? Well, this y'all's expression. I wish I could snap a picture of this and just put it on the screen. No. I haven't, none of this, brother, none of this applies to me ever in my whole life. It's like the eight-year-old that's caught with their hand in a cookie jar. No, mama, I'm not getting any cookies. Really? I'm not buying this innocent persona that you're putting off right now. I'm not buying into it for a minute. <clears throat> Have I ever been verbally or physically abusive to someone? Are you married? <laughs> That's all the question I need to ask. I mean, you never called your spouse a stupid idiot? I mean, ever? You know, it, something worse than that? You know, there's always going to be these sanctimonious type if you hadn't said it you thought it i'm gonna tell you that right now <clears throat> have you ever been unappreciative or inattentive to someone i remember another relative don't live in the state she was reading the newspaper which was rude because we were their company that day and the hostess was reading the newspaper while we were sitting there babysitting her children and her son wanted something and was going, Mom, 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 Mom. Finally, I, I just shouted, Would you please answer him? 
How many of you ever put your kids to bed and they're going, Dad, I'm thirsty. You might as well go on and get up and get the water and get it over with. They're not going to sleep until they get that drink of water. I should or let you beat the tar out of them, whatever. <laughs> but have you ever been really unappreciative of someone? Should you have appreciated someone more or not paid attention to someone as you should have? Have you ever been unfaithful or have you ever lied to anybody about anything? Okay, I'm going to go ahead and confess. I have two discs in my back or whatever. don't have a lot of cartilage between them. And do a lot of physical labor and, and hurts like crazy. And invariably, somebody will walk up to me and say, Hey, Pastor, how you doing? I'm going to lie. I'm just going to bald-faced lie. I'm not going to tell people my trouble and that I'm hurting. I'm doing great, man. Just God, forgive me. I just lied like a dog to them people. So I repent often. <laughs> hey, Pastor, how you doing? I just got off the phone with Brother So-and-so. How do you think I'm doing? But I don't say that. I think it, but I don't say it. Anyway, but we do these things. Now, we don't think we do, or we justify it. And I'm proving the point. Have you ever borrowed, loan, borrowed money from somebody and you didn't get paid back, or, or you didn't pay it back, and no one moves? But have you ever loaned somebody money? Oh, yeah, boy. That's how we think. We, far, we, we go to the extreme to keep an account of what people do to us. But we very rarely keep an account of what we do to people. I've had people come, start coming to Grace from XYZ Church somewhere. Well, what happened? Oh, the pastor was... Well, what did you do? Nothing. Okay, I understand. Okay, let's take this a step further. Make a list of those that you feel like you've hurt and what you did. To hurt them. That's where you start in this process of healing. Think how I'd like someone to make amends to me. That's the next step. So if, if, if somebody is hurting and they want to come and make amends with me, if they want to come and say, Sister Sheila, I'm sorry, I am so sorry. You know what our first response to that is? It's not a problem. Never gave it a thought. You lying through your teeth. Not you, I'm just saying, in general. <laughs> You've told everybody about it, the no-good scoundrel, whatever. They, I can't believe they rock, 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 rock. Oh, no, brother so-and-so, everything is fine. So how would you like for people to approach you? If that person that hurt you really bad came to you and said, let's get this worked out, what would you want them to do? The Bible said in Luke chapter 6, verse 31, I'm trying to hurry. And as you would that men should do to you, do you also to them likewise. What do we call that? Isn't that the golden rule? Isn't that kind of what you... Y'all remember that from way back? Think to yourself, if someone were going to apologize to me, how would I want it done? And then do it that way. Now, here's three things you need to consider. First of all is the right time. You don't see brother so-and-so on the side of the road with a state trooper behind him giving him a ticket. That's not a good time to walk up and say, hey, I'd like to get things straight. He ain't going to be in a good mood. So you've got to wait for the right time, all right? The Bible teaches that. Number two, you have to have the right attitude. You don't want to go here just to get God off your back or to get your conscience off of your back. You truly want it to be right between you and that other person. So you have to wait for the right time, the right attitude, and then you ask yourself, is it appropriate? There are some situations you wouldn't want to revisit because to do so, you would just open up the proverbial can of worms. So what do you do? You write that letter that you never send, and then you just do what you can to balance the ledger. There are some wrongs that I don't believe can be made right. I've, I, heard some, I heard a preacher preach one time, teach one time, that if you're married and divorced, if you're going to go to heaven, you need to go back to your first spouse. Well, it just so happened that there was someone there that night that had been married three times, 
and the child between that person and their first spouse was getting baptized. So there was like one mom, one dad, and two or three stepdads and stepmoms up in the baptistry a little while later to get that child baptized. I'm like, okay, what does this person do? Do you divorce your current spouse? The whole thing was, was, was crazy. There's some wrongs that can't be made right, but they can be forgiven. So don't anticipate forgiveness as making something right. Forgiveness is living the rest of your life in the sight of God and in the sight of the perpetrator, whoever that might be, as though it never happened. That's the goal. You can't molest your child, excuse me tonight, and go back 20 years later and make it right. There's some things you just can't fix. But it can be put under the blood, and when God looks at it, you look at it, and they look at it as though it never happened. It's forgiveness. So then you have to refocus your life. Refocus your life on doing God's will starting today in all of your relationships. You want to be in all of your relationships with these people. You want to be as normal and loving and forgiving as you can. If they don't accept it, then there's not much you can do about it. You can't go hold a gun to their head and say, forgive me, and they say, okay, and you go, that don't work. I hope I'm not being too ridiculous here. I'm just trying to illustrate the point. You can't force people to forgive you, but you can do your part. And I believe the Bible would back that up. So as long as you focus on someone you resent, you're allowing them to control you. And if you continue to resent them long enough, you will eventually begin to resemble them. So what you focus on is what you will ultimately become. So don't let your past control your present. God is the greatest recycler. Do you all know that? He wants to recycle the emotional garbage in your life and bring good out of it. How does he do that? We'll conclude with this. But look at the wise words from the book of Job, and I'll conclude with this. Job eleven thirteen. If thou, prepare, if, if thou prepare thine heart and stretch out thine hands toward him, if iniquity be in thy hand, put it far away. And let not wickedness dwell in thy tabernacles. For then shalt thou lift up thy face without spot. Yea, thou shalt be steadfast and shalt not fear. Because thou shalt forget thy misery and remember it as waters that pass away. Awesome scripture setting. This is what God does with hurts and grudges and resentful attitudes and resentful spirits. When you put it in his hands, put it on the blood, somehow God can wash it away and you can live the rest of your life as though it never happened look i am more qualified to talk about this than what a lot of you think there's a lot of things i've experienced personally that i'll not express i'm more qualified to talk about some of these things than you think but on the other hand that being said i know people that have had some brutal things happen to them in their lifetime brutal and I've watched them through the grace and the empowerment of God get past it. It doesn't, the hurt is real, it's impactful, but it doesn't have to last forever. You can heal. I watched a lady say goodbye to her husband of close to 50 years. And I whispered in her ear at his funeral, and I preached it. This was a number of years ago when we pastored in Youngstown. I said, you will see that one day the sun will shine again. You will smile again. And she did. You can reach a point where life can be enjoyed living it. You can live it to its fullest. But you have to learn how to go through this process of forgiveness and let it go. Let it go. This is my hurt. This is my hurt. Everybody see that? We'll let it go.
that's hard. One, because that's a real expensive ink pen. Anyway, that's hard to do. I'm not that naive, and this ain't my first rodeo. But when you've been really hurt by somebody, it's hard to forgive and let it go. It's hard to do that with people. It's hard to do it with God. When you know God could have stopped it, when God could have fixed it, da-da-da-da-da, you know all that, and he didn't. It's hard. We have to learn how to let it go. And when you do, a burden lifts off of your shoulders and you're a new creature, man. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. Father, we love you tonight and how deeply thankful we are to turn to the Word of God when there is such crises in our lives that are, regi- that are real and that are legitimate. I'm thankful, God, that you give us a process through which we can go through to rid ourselves, the hurts, the things that have impacted us so negatively, and that we can forgive even when it's our children, our parents, family members, And somehow or another, through the power of the Holy Ghost, you empower us to move past these things and literally let them go. It's not easy. It's not always done overnight. But you've given us a process through which, at the end, we can truly let it go. And I pray tonight, God, for this wonderful congregation of people that they can get their mind around what's been taught in the Word of God, not just tonight, but in the preceding Wednesday nights. That it truly does work. It truly is life-giving. The Word of God truly gives us life. It gives us hope, and it helps us to become dreamers again. It gives us a hope of a future, a hope of happiness, a hope of contentment, that just because of the way things have been doesn't mean that's the way things are and will always be. You're the great recycler, and you can make our lives into something great. I pray that we'll understand it, that we'll receive it, that we'll live it, that we'll practice it, that it will become us. Help us tonight, I pray. Help us to have faith in you. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Okay, everybody get up and walk around and smile and be friendly. And uh, (coughs) love everybody.